Uh, if, if you're a guest with us today, Jeff Bogue is our senior pastor, and he is out to get me, right? He's going to take me out. So I didn't realize this, uh, that I evidently I resemble Justin Timberlake. And I didn't know this until people started asking me almost on a weekly basis, has everyone, anyone ever told you you look like JT before? And I was like, what? No, never. And then it started happening over and over again. So for the rest of our time together, you won't hear anything I say. You'll be like, he is JT. <laughs> Weird. It's fantastic. Well, thanks for being here this weekend. Uh, before we jump into our conversation, I do want to highlight something we talked about a little bit earlier that Josh mentioned, and it's the discovery group is happening today. So if you've been coming to Grace maybe for the last handful of weeks, and you've been thinking, I wonder how do I get connected? How do I take a next step? Just want to make sure that that is super clear. It is to come to a discovery group, and that starts today. So if you've been looking to uh, make a move and say, you know what, I really want to engage my faith at another level and uh, kind of move towards grace and get involved at a deeper level, do that. Uh, I'll be there. Pastor Ezra will be there. And we would love to spend the afternoon with you today. One to four, uh, come. We'll feed you lunch, take care of the kids, and uh, really have, I think, an impactful time together. So take advantage of that. And uh, we are going to take another step into our series. We started just a few weeks ago called Mixed Messages. And uh, what we said in this series is, it's just a reality that our world has changed, right? How communication happens, how messaging happens to us has changed in the last 5, 10, 15 years. And if you went back 20 years ago, let's say, we would only be exposed to a fraction of the information and the communication that comes to us now on an everyday, almost every minute basis. Now, the reality is that with uh, the advent of smartphones and social media, now those messages are coming to us constantly, and they're going to hit everything under the sun. There's going to be an opinion and a persuasive message about how I should spend my time and how I should spend my money, how I should view the world, how we should vote, right? You name it. There are, there are enormous amount of messages coming to us almost on a constant basis. We said this isn't necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just different. And somehow we have to learn, how do we manage that? How do we deal with that? And if we're a Christ follower, we said what's really important is that we have to develop the skill of listening, kind of surveying some of these messages that are coming our way, and then having the ability to cut through all the noise and really lock in and hear God's voice in the middle of it. Because right? if I'm a follower of Jesus, the voice that matters the most to me on any given subject is going to be the voice that God has. What would God say about my money, about how I would vote, about myself? Uh, last weekend, we kicked off a conversation talking about sex. Yes, God has an opinion even about sex, has a great message for it. If you missed that one, by the way, you will want to make sure you get caught up. Very interesting conversation. So do that. You can do that at graceohio.org and uh, get caught up on that conversation. But we said all of these things, God's going to have a view, a message for us to lock into. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I want to turn the volume up on that message in my life. I want to make sure that I'm hearing God's voice uh, most clearly and most loudly. And so that's what we're doing in this series, taking some time to examine some of the messages that would come through in our world and really kind of crank the volume up on what God would have to say. So if you're a Christ follower, that will be very helpful, encouraging, great reminders of kind of listening to what God said. If you're not yet a Christ follower, I think this will be very helpful in clarifying this, this is what a Christian is called to believe. This is actually God's perspective on these different topics. Because let's just be honest, sometimes 
mixed messages even come through the church and through Christian culture. And so we want to go right back to God's word and say, what exactly did God have to say about that? It's kind of a little bit back to the basics conversation, so I think that'll be really helpful if you're investigating your faith, kind of understand what, what does a Christ follower and what should a Christ follower think about these given topics. So what we're going to do is dive into a conversation today about uh, life, about people, about human life, and kind of its value, all kinds of opinions about what we are and who we are and kind of what our value and our worth is. We're going to have a little conversation about that. So I was thinking about it. We took a, a trip, my son and I, Uriah, he's nine years old, and we went on this trip to Hocking Hills not too long ago. I don't know if you guys have ever been down there. It's a really great place in that kind of middle Ohio, southern Ohio, and a great place to go see these kind of natural rock formations. Really cool. And so we took a couple days to go down there and have some man time and go hiking. And as we went down to Hocking Hills, uh, the first stop we went to was at this place called Rock House. Now you kind of stop, pull out, and you go down and see these rock formations. Really amazing one where uh, there's a hollowed out kind of cliff, and it's a house made of rock, basically. You walk through, and it's dark. It's beautiful, amazing uh, pieces of creation to check out. As we walk down in to go see this rock house, uh, we pass this family. And it's a mom and a dad and five kids. And we've got four kids, all uh, between the ages of nine and, and four. And so I thought, wow, this family has got their hands full. Like, these are young kids. They're probably like two to 11, I'm guessing, but roughly two to 11. I thought, this is going to be interesting. This family's got their hands full. This is kind of a dangerous place. Like, there's cliffs and huge drop-offs. And wow, how are they going to manage all this? Interesting. And so no big deal. We kept walking. Uriah and I said hi. We went, kind of searched out Rock House. It was beautiful. It was amazing. We'll have a little picture here pop up. And we came to this point. You can see where that arrow is. We're like, we're going to start to climb down through this rock. Cane. It's hard to see the scale of this, but we would be about this big if we were in that picture. Right? So kind of a huge, uh, huge uh, cavernous rock thing. And we, we climbed down about 15 feet. And as we're climbing down, right before we go down, I see the dad in this family that we passed, and he's only got three kids with him. Somehow we lost mom and two other kids, right? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so this dad's got a two-year-old, and he's got about a five-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter-ish. And I see that, and I thought, ooh, boy, this dad's going to have his hands full, right? Him and these three kids. And I start climbing down there with Uriah, probably about a 15-foot drop-off as we start climbing down where that arrow is, down into the canyon. And I hear this 11-year-old daughter start screaming at her dad, like screaming. And she's saying, Dad, right, whatever, little Jimmy, whatever that son's name, he's starting to climb down into the canyon. So this little 5-year-old evidently was a great climber, and he was going to go climb and make his way down the mountain. So the, the sister is taking the role of the mom, and she is freaking out, like screaming at her dad. Dad! Like full throttle, you know? And I was like, oh boy, this is interesting. And so dad decides he's going to climb down this canyon the same way that we were climbing down, Uriah and I. And it was steep. I was like nervous, right? Where I'm gonna, protecting my son. We're kind of going down step by step. And this guy's got a two-year-old in his hand, and he's going the same way we do. And so I'm a dad, you know? And I was like, hey man, you need some help? And he was like, yes, I do. I'm not kidding. He takes his two-year-old, has a diaper on, and chucks his baby at me. Like, I was like, he just threw his baby at me. I don't even know what to do. All right, so I catch his baby, and uh, Uriah is standing right next to me. Literally, his response was this. 
Like, he was amazed that, that this guy just threw me his baby. He, he, like, climbs down into the canyon, goes and pulls his whole family back together, grabs his five-year-old. The entire time, this 11-year-old girl is screaming, Dad! Like, the whole time. And she's freaking out. <laughs> it was amazing. And he pulls it all back together. I'm like, okay, good. No one fell off a cliff. All is well. We continue with the hike. No big deal. Probably about 45 minutes later, uh, we're down on this path, Uriah and I, and now we're passing the dad and the three kids. You know, it was like amazing timing. So we're going to walk right by them on this trail. And, and the, the girl, the 11-year-old, she's walking with arms crossed, uh, furrowed brow like this, and dad is walking like right next to her, like hunching down on her level and, and almost like pleading with her. I was like, huh, I wonder what they're talking about. This is interesting, you know? And he, as right, it was awesome timing. Right as we walked past, I'm not kidding, he was like, so we're not going to tell mom about this, right? <laughs> it was awesome. I was like, this guy understands the value of his own life, right? <laughs> his wife is going to kill him. It's awesome. Right? But, well, what is the value, right? Well, what, what are our lives worth? This is something we don't think about all the time because we're too busy living in it. Right? What are people worth? We're going to dive into this conversation, and it's a, it's a bedrock, kind of a deeper conversation. It's going to look at some of the assumptions that we probably operate all the time on, and they're hard to see until you take some time to really unwrap them and look at them. But what we've been saying in this, in this series is that, like all messages, there's probably a spectrum of how people are viewed in our culture and in our world. And we want to look at that spectrum again and kind of see some of the different messages that are going to come out about people, about human life, about its value, and really about what God would think about who we are and what we are. So we're going to look at a few of these different messages and a little different approach than we would have with some other messages with people we can really lock in as human beings to a bunch of different messages because we're going to believe different things about different people. So as we're walking through, you might say, you know what? I can see myself in multiple different categories at one time. I, I kind of treat this person like this, and I, I do sometimes think of people this way, and it might be totally different. We don't get stuck just in one. So what would some of these different messages about people be? If you go to that one extreme, sometimes we're going to look at some people in our culture, in our world, and we're going to almost view them as an idol, right? People who are really good at stuff. Th think famous sports players, right? We're, we're going to look at somebody that can crank a ball out of the park or hit a three-pointer, right, when at the buzzer, and we're going to look and say, that person, because of their skill, they are so amazing at that that I almost, I would love to spend five minutes with that person. You know, I, I would do like anything. This is, this is a message that would come through in our world, in our culture, that if we could sit down with certain people, you know, and, and people that everyone else celebrates, you know, you're like, man, if I could get five minutes with Justin Timberlake, let's hang out, you know? Whatever. Right, if I could hang out with whoever, I would tend to respond in this, in, in really in an act of worship, say, well, wait a minute, we don't really worship people. Is that how it works? We don't pray to people and bow down to them and go to church and talk. You're right, you're right, we don't do that. What we would do in our world, in our culture, what would be normal, would be a message about people, is some people are worthy of incredible acts of sacrifice. It's some, some people's name 
written on a piece of paper is worth tens of thousands of dollars. Isn't that interesting? That's almost like an act of worship, that I would want to purchase something like that, that I would want to hold something or have something that someone else wore. Man, if I could have LeBron James' shoe, I don't know what I would do with that, but right, I would put it in my room. I don't know, right? but it would be valuable to me. Why? Because I view this person almost in a godlike manner. And that's a message that's normal, right? It just kind of shows up in our world today, that some people are viewed with a value that is almost godlike. It's just part of what it is. We can see it all the time, right? Those names would show up in media, and it would be normal to celebrate and to encourage great acts of sacrifice or devotion given to people that are so well-known. People are kind of like an idol. Sometimes that's how humanity is viewed. Let's go to the other extreme, right? Kind of the other side of it, where humanity is not viewed as highly, certainly not worshipped, and this extreme is pretty severe, and it, it's where we would almost see people as machines. It's machines. Say, Ryan, I've never heard anybody call someone else a machine. I, I hear you. Follow the train of thought. Sometimes our world will subtly communicate a message about humanity that goes like this. Right? When corporations are trying to do their best to, to be efficient and to be effective, we're going to look, and, and those leaders of those corporations are going to look and say, well, this person who is aging out and can't learn as fast anymore and can't go as fast can be replaced by a newer model that's less expensive, and, and we're going to trade that out. Right? Why? Because this is more effective and faster. When, when we look at someone, sometimes we'll even use this language, when someone's melting down, we would say, that person is malfunctioning. Right? They're malfunctioning. They need fixed. And while we'll never think of people as machines, we've started to have this language that has come through in our culture where it's a language of control that people that would show up in our world need to operate properly. And if a machine does that job faster, then maybe a machine should do it regardless of the value of that person's job or their Right? It's not necessarily a statement of right or wrong that companies do that. It's just an observation that more and more some people are interacted with sometimes through the lens of a machine. That if you don't operate correctly, if you don't pour out the Chipotle sour cream fast enough, you need to move quicker, right? You're like a machine, and, I, and you need to function and perform. It's one of the messages that shows up in our world. Now, here's one that is less severe than either of these two examples, right? Maybe it's not a machine, but there's one step in where people are kind of seen as an annoyance, as an annoyance. So sometimes there's a message that's given from our world that you just need to hang out with the people that you like and the rest of the people, you can kind of put some room in between yourself and them, and that's okay because some people are just annoying, right? We all have that boss that just bugs us, you know? I'm not going to use any names, but I have a boss. <laughs> and sometimes that boss, you know, he, he goes on long tangents about how sexy he is in the middle of a meeting, rubs his belly, you know, in an awkward way. <laughs> I find that annoying, you know. I'm not going to use any names that'd be inappropriate, but he may be campaigning against me. I'm not sure. Right? 
Right, right. But the, there's a reality that there's an annoyance that's going to come through. Let's just be honest, folks. I know this is church, but sometimes people bug us, don't they? It's just real. I'm just being honest. I saw this happen this week. I was thinking about this conversation. I had it in my mind, even God's message about people. And I had this interaction. I went to go to a local coffee shop and grab a cup of coffee. I came out of that coffee shop, went back to my car, and it was raining outside. And this minivan whips right around me and parks next to me. They've got the window open. This lady's got her feet up in, in the minivan. And as some guy pops out of the driver's side, and this woman just starts screaming at this guy about how they should have gone to Starbucks instead. You know, I'm standing right, like, right next to her. And she's like, we should have gone to Starbucks. I was like, I think her head's going to spin around. Like, I'm not sure what's going on right now, but this lady is freaking out. And I'm just being honest. I thought, I don't know what's happening. This lady's scaring me. She's annoying. You know, and here's my temptation. I should probably avoid people like this, right? And this tends to be the response to all annoying people, whether they are flipping out or they just bug us a little bit, right? Like, why, why, oh slow walker, do you walk so slow? (laughs) Mmm, mmm, when there's that opening, I am gone. You know, I just can't, when I go to the store, it's a mission. Men, you hear me, don't you, right? Get the items and get into the line, let's go. It's annoying. People sometimes are viewed as obstacles. They're inconvenient. And, and if I can just kind of move people out of my way, we're going to be just fine. Are people an annoyance? Are they a machine? Are they an idol? Here's another way that we would view people as through the lens of being good. The lens of being good. We, we kind of view people as good people. That if, if people have the morality, the morals that I have chosen, then I feel good about that. I would celebrate that and I would accept them and say, yeah, you are good people. I accept you. I think you're on the right track. People who would kind of celebrate the same, same things that I would celebrate. And the, the hardest part about this conversation is at any given time, I might see some people here and some people here and some people here and some people here. That there would be a mixed set of messages. And when I interact with human beings, they could show up all over the spectrum of, of how I would view humanity and kind of individuals. This, is, this will show up in our house. I've got four kids. Some of my kids more quickly will kind of operate and do what I hope they would do. Some of my kids are more rebellious. So how do I interact with them? Should I look at some of my kids and say, oh, you're good, I accept you. And the ones that aren't producing, I I look at them and say, I need to fix you. That, That can't be right. So how do we do this? What should I do with the lady at the coffee shop, right, whose head was about to spin around? Should I just land in a place where I say, you're annoying. I should avoid you. What do we do with humanity? Because there's a reality that that some roles in life are replaceable. People aren't replaceable, but that job is. There's lots of people that could do a specific job. What do I do when there are bits bits and pieces of truth in some of each of these, but we know that they're all incomplete. 
How do we land on a better, more consistent vision of who people are? Is there a perspective, a message that would help us to be consistent in our response to people that no matter what they do, who they are, how they perform, that I always interact with them with the same response, a consistent view of humanity. For me, this, this was part of it. I, I grew up not following Jesus at all, and uh, not in a, I had no religious background at all. And for me, I had no problem treating people largely like in this vein and in this vein. The people that I loved, I would treat like they were good people, like I accepted them, and everybody else kind of bugged me. What has blown me away is that this is such an incomplete and inconsistent way to live. And I would, I would say this, the view that God has for us, while this is a bedrock conversation, a baseline fundamental kind of conversation about who people are, nothing will more radically change our interactions with human beings, from my coworkers to my neighbors to my spouse to my children, than what we're about to talk about. It's the starting point. For all good parenting, and all good marriage, and all good interactions with our employees, our employer, our neighbors, you name it. Why? Because it's all the way down to the base of how I view people. So let's look at it together. Here's, here we're going to dive into God's view of people. And here's two choices that show how God views people. Here's two choices that God made, two decisions that God made that show us really how he views people. And this is huge because we can look and say, how, how does God view me? How does he view humanity? Should we just produce for God? Are we objects that need to produce? Or are we something more than that? Right? Are we annoying to God? Do I, do I bug God and he's just frustrated and impatient with me? Does he look at me and say, man, you're kind of doing a great job. Nice. I certainly don't think he would land here in this one where he would worship us. But how does he view us? What is his opinion? Here's two choices that God made to kind of show us his view of people. Here's the first one. God chose to make people in his own image. Put that in your notes. God chose to make people in his own image. This is a huge decision that God had chosen to make. This is all the way back into Genesis 1, back to the beginning of all things. I'll read you the, the passage here. You don't need to turn there. Here's what's happened. God had created everything, right? Created the earth, created the light, created vegetation, created animals, fish, birds, you name it. And then he makes this decision to make something different, to, to make the pinnacle of creation. And that pinnacle of creation is going to be you and I. And we, we are going to be kind of the, the top end of creation. Here's what God would say. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He then gives them food to eat. He says, you can eat all this vegetation, 
Jump down to 31. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. God creates everything. He creates human beings, men, men and women, male and female, and he says, I'm going to leave you in charge. It's hard for us to measure how significant this is. So when human beings are created in the image of God with the imprint of God on them, the mark of God, what he's saying is there's a built-in and intrinsic value to human life, that we are inherently valuable people. Before we've done anything good or bad, anything right or wrong, not because of what we produce or don't produce, not because of a skill that we could highlight or not highlight before we have done anything, there is a value to human beings that is different than any other creation. That's huge. With the creation of human beings, there's also a reality that we were made to be eternal, that the human soul was made. We alone in creation would come to church. We alone in creation would pray and ask, what is the meaning of life? You don't see animals asking those questions, right? Because there's a difference between what we are and what an animal is. We, we are made in the image of God. We have a value that is unique, and we will live forever. Now, in light of the fact that eventually we would fall and our relationship would be broken with God, our destiny was changed. Now there's a decision to make. Will we live forever with God or away from him? We'll talk more about that in a second. But this piece is huge to find. Because what this does is this makes me say that every human being on the planet has value. Not just some races, all races. Not just men, not just women. Not just some ages, all ages. If there's a human being involved, whether it's my coworker or my kids or my enemy, that person has inherent, built-in value. They're made in the image of God. That's huge. It's huge. Can't just look at a person and say, oh, they're just a machine. They're just here to serve me. Right? Why didn't you get my order right? We can't do that. Why? That's a human being. That no matter what role they have, what job they have, what economic status, what education level, the reality is if that person who we might deem of lowest value in our society, if you put them in this room and filled this room with cash from ceiling to floor, the reality is from God's perspective, he would always see that human being as more valuable than all that cash. Why? Because that human being is what's created in the image of God starts to change everything. From a bedrock level, starts to transform how I view people. First decision, God chose to make people in his own image. Here's the second one. Jesus chose to rescue people with his own life. Jesus chose to rescue people with his own life. What happened very quickly after human beings were created in the image of God is uh, we, we messed it up. We fell. It's called the fall of man. We rebelled against God. We disobeyed God. And what happened is that changed our relationship with God. 
humanity was broken in some ways, in many ways, between our pursuit of God and our relationship interaction with him, we were, now we have a deep and lasting flaw that we have to live with. We call this our sin nature, and if uh, you're an honest person at all, you can see this flaw in yourself. In fact, this flaw would be a huge part of what drew me to asking questions that would cause me to find Jesus, kind of like we heard in our stories earlier. We all know what we did. I know the immorality that I did. I know the words that I've said. I know the lies that I've told. I know myself. I see and I feel the flaw in myself. And even if you have no religious background at all, if you're like me, you can sense it and feel it. That something's off in me. Jesus would make this unbelievable decision to, to come down to earth and to rescue people and to cover over and to pay for that flaw. Let me read you this verse, John three sixteen and 17. Here's what John says about Jesus and his life. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For, listen to this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is unbelievable. We fall from God. We rebel against God. Basically, the story of the Bible is God's pursuit of human beings and our rejection of him. So God goes to the greatest lengths ever. He looks and he says, I'm going to squeeze myself down into human skin. I'm going to become a man. I'm going to do something that no human being could ever do, no man or woman, and I'm going to live perfectly and I'm going to be rejected by humanity, and I'm going to be tortured and ultimately murdered. Why? That was the price tag for this flaw. And what drove that, when, when God saw that flaw, we weren't to be condemned. We just read that. It, it was God's love that would drive Jesus to make the decision to come down and rescue us with his own life. I want, I want us to see where this shows up. This is huge. See, I can't look at humanity and say, you know what, we're good people. I want to. There's a part of me that wants to just be able to say that. Like, we're okay. We're good. You seem real nice. But here's the thing. Watch this. If we're good people in and of ourselves, acceptable to God, we have to wrestle through answering the question, so why exactly did Jesus come then? It doesn't make any sense. The, the Bible would say Jesus had to come because this flaw was so deep and it was so expensive that it cost the life of the Son of God. If we're pretty much good people, that whole Jesus dying on the cross thing is kind of overkill, isn't it? I mean, a couple good self-help books, man, and we're like there. There. We're not good. We're not good. We're valuable. We're eternal. We're flawed. Oh, and we're deeply loved. We're deeply loved. These four things are true of every human being on the planet. Every single one. The, the, the kid starving on another continent. Right? My the person who's, who's going to serve me as I go through the fast food line, 
the CEO of the company, the, the, right, the celebrity on TV, all valuable, eternal, flawed, loved. And, and this is how God would view us. God would look at us and say, I loved you so much that I chose to do these things. I chose to make you value. I chose to give you a soul. You were the one that chose to be flawed, and even in response to that, I chose to love you. This is God's message for humanity. Powerful. Oh. Every interaction with a human being is affected by this message. So what do we do with it? How do we respond to it? Here's what I put in your notes. Two responses to God's view of people. God's view of people. So this way, I want to start to see people from the soul out, not from the surface in. I want to start to see people from the soul out, not the surface in. You can look this uh, reference up later in your notes. I put it in your notes, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. The Apostle Paul would say, uh, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. He says, we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. He said, we, we once viewed people from the surface in. We once looked at people's skin color and their race and their educational ability and their, their zip code. We looked at people's age and we looked at people's gender and we looked at the surface sides of humanity. And we made judgments about who they were based on what we saw on the outside. Paul said, we do that no longer. Now we view people from the soul out. When we look at human beings, we see that they have built-in intrinsic value. That that human being is going to be someone that will spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That I can have compassion because just like me, they're flawed. Just like me, all these things are true of them. So let's go back to our lady at the coffee shop, right? The annoying one that I kind of thought was psycho. Here's what I had to do. Standing in the rain with my coffee, thinking this lady might flip out next to me. I get in my car, start the car, and I've got to confess to God that I basically just judged this woman. Because the reality is, was she being annoying? Yeah, she was. Just like I've been annoying. And she's so much more. She's so much more. Can I see her from the soul out? I don't know what she's got going on in her life. I don't know the fight she just had. I don't know the abuse she suffered. I don't know the decisions that she's facing regret about because of her flaw, just like I suffer regret for the decisions I've made because of my flaw. I don't know any of that. All I see is the surface in this one snapshot in time. And her behavior is my total judgment of her as a human being. I gotta stop and say, oh Lord, I'm way off. You've set me free from seeing people like this. And I'm the one who hasn't taken up the opportunity to see people the way you see them from the soul out. And this starts to change everything. It starts to change everything. What, what this does, I want to show you this next one. This causes me to elevate 
the priority of people. It's caused me to elevate the priority of people. Right, when I start to see people from the soul out and I believe God's message about people, oh, it changes me. And this is right in line with what Jesus would say. I continue to be blown away at this. I, I've been a follower of Jesus for 16 years and it still kind of blows my mind that this is what's real and true and good, although it's making more and more sense. But watch what happens here in Matthew chapter 22. I'll just read it to you. One of the teachers of the law came up to Jesus and they asked him this question, which is the greatest commandment? in all of the law. Jesus replied like this. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And man, that one makes a ton of sense. God's our creator. Jesus would be the one that would redeem us. Of course, we should love God with all that we have. He's the one that made us. What continues to blow me away is the second part. It says the, the second is like it. The second commandment is very much like the first. And Jesus could have said all kinds of things here. He, he could have said, love God and build a great company. Love God and make technological breakthroughs, right? Make, make humanity great in our accomplishments. He could have said, love God and learn all the information there was to know. Love God and and make yourself unbelievably rich. It's fascinating. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Out of all of the most important things you could say on the planet, it's going to come down to the basics of, I want you to Respond to people the way I would respond to people. I want you to love people. I want you to elevate the priority of people in your life. Boy, this is a message that's countercultural today. It's hard to see it. This is why, for a follower of Jesus, the things that are attached to people are going to matter more than anything else. Loving our neighbor, whether they are our physical neighbor or our brothers and sisters across the world. This is going to show up in, in how we view things like major decisions, even in policy. We're going to look at decisions about unborn human life and say there's intrinsic value to that human being created in the image of God. We'll love them, protect them. We're, we're going to look across the ocean at people that are suffering horrific evil and fleeing countries because of injustice, the refugees. And we're going to look at that situation and say we have compassion, we care about that because those people are suffering and they are human. They don't have to be American to be human. See, I'm going to look across, I'm going to think differently because I'm going to elevate the priority of people. Anything connected to a human life is going to matter more to me uh, than a financial goal, right? Or than than a, a lifestyle goal. I'm going to care about people. It would show up at these massive decisions, massive worldview shaping decisions. And then it's going to come all the way down into my interactions every single day where I bump into that guy that really bugs me or that lady that annoys me 
and I'm going to start to catch myself faster and faster. And guys, I'm not good at this. This is a long-term growth thing for me personally. I am an introvert by nature. I'm great to just like go chill in the woods, (laughs) you know. So for me, I've got to elevate the priority of people and see that what God cares about most is human beings. So when I interact with that coworker, or that neighbor, that guy that never mows his lawn, that guy's dog always is barking, you know. And I'm going to think, that's annoying, and I'm going to move on from there, but it's, there's more. They're valuable, and they're eternal. And I want to see them from the soul out. And it's going to shape how I view people. I'm not going to see less and less. As I let the love of God come into my life, I'm going to see less and less race and age, educational differences, you name it. And I'm going to start to just see souls. It's funny, my, uh, my daughter was born with, uh, she, she just has this little rash on her face. She, it's kind of a, a trait that's inherited. And... Um, Sometimes I look at her, it's funny, I never see it. I just don't even see it. And she'll, she'll feel self-conscious about it sometimes. She has these little bumps on her cheeks. And she'll sometimes ask, say, hey, Daddy, kids ask me about these bumps on my cheeks. And genuinely, when she asks me that question, like, what should I do about that? How should I respond to that? I look at her and I think, oh, yeah, you have bumps on your cheeks. Because I don't see that stuff in her. I actually, it's, it's harder for me to see her flaws. Why? Because I love her so much. I, she's my kid. She's my child. I love her. Her flaws show up less and less in my view of her because I'm, I'm passionate about who she is. Because this is where this whole thing starts. I mean, what do I do with this conversation? I think I got to start more than anything else and Asking, do I believe that God sees me like that? Do I, do I believe that when God looks at me, he thinks, boy, you better produce. You better show me you love me. You better earn my love. You better do religious things. You better crank it out, machine. When God looks at me, does he look at me and say, oh, you're so annoying. You're always sinning. You're always doing, get away from me. When God looks at me, does he, does he say, oh yeah, you got it all together, man. Good job. I hope you make it on my, I hope I can be on your team. God would, would view us in none of those ways. He would look at us and say, regardless of where you've been, regardless of where you've done, who you are is important to me. You are valuable. So valuable that I would give my life for you. I created you in my image. I love you. I sent my son to purchase and to pay for your flaw. Will you receive my love? These are the stories we heard today. And if you're here and you've never heard God's message for how he views you, I encourage you to start there by saying, all right, God, if you really do love me, if you count me valuable and you came to die for me and purchase my life, I'm in. I want to follow you, just like Jerry did. 
if you never made that decision, it's actually simple. It's scary. I remember when I made it. It's a scary decision. 19 years old, I remember sitting in my friend's explorers. He shared Jesus with me. He said, hey, man, do you want to follow Christ? And I was like, I, I, I think I have to. What else am I going to do with myself? And I just said yes, and I sat there, and I prayed, and I said, God, would you save me? I'm sorry for what I've done. Thank you for loving me. It's literally that simple. I want you to be my God, and I'm going to follow you. If you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to make that today. Say yes to Jesus. And then what, what happens to the rest of us, and for you if you're making that decision, is the love of God will slowly but surely start to change us from the inside out, from the soul out. And as we experience the love of God, we're going to start to understand how to love as we have been loved. And we'll start to see people the way that God sees people. So we've experienced it ourselves first. From our spouses, our kids, our parents, all the way through every piece of life, right? Across the continents to humanity. This affects every piece of how we would interact. So I'm going to have the band come out. I want us to love for us to begin to pray think and maybe there's even some names that would come to mind enemies people that I would see is maybe not valued by God maybe that's a thing I have to own between me and God today begin to turn up the volume on God's message for love let me pray for us father we want to say thank you God thank you that we are not left to the messages that, that we would find in our world, that you have a consistent message of love for all people. God, of course, that would show up in a, a million different ways, but at the end of the day, you have compassion, and you have love, and you have value for every human life, for us first, Lord, and then for the people around us, and God, we ask you to change us with your love. Help us to see differently. To have a vision for investing deeply into the, the people that you count so valuable and important. God, forgive me. You know how I struggle with this. Lord, help me to see people the way you do. Open the eyes of our hearts. Cause us to say, the rest is not nearly as important as the souls you've put in our path. Change us today, Lord. We need you.